One pregame show, the NFL Today on CBS, set the standard for all pregame shows, a template that still exists today. In 1975, this landmark mix of personality, gambling, and features became a cultural phenomenon. It changed people's habits on Sunday. No longer did fans wait for kickoff at one o'clock. They tuned in early to hear Brent, Phyllis, Irv, and the Greek, and one man captured it all. In 1975, four big personalities, Brent Musburger, Phyllis George, Irv Cross, and Jimmy the Greek, came together to work on the NFL Today on CBS, a landmark show that I was privileged to work on three different times. But nothing was bigger than the early years, and it took a respected former staff writer to capture the stories and the charisma, which Rich Podolsky did in his new book, You Are Looking Live. Hello, Rich, my friend. Welcome. Hi, Les. Good to see you. You look great. Uh, It's so nice to talk to you. And I just wanted to remind you that the subtitle of the book is How the NFL Today Revolutionized Sports Broadcasting. And it did. You know, I I have to hear all about it. Uh, First of all, what was the impetus for this book, Rich? You know, it's almost 50 years later. Uh, When Phyllis passed away uh, in 2020, Uh, I started to reconnect with some of my former CBS colleagues uh, for uh, a piece I was doing for uh, an online uh, media magazine uh, called Sports Broadcast Journal. Uh, And as I started to talk to everybody, it hit me how much the show meant to me as I was listening to everyone, including yourself, tell me how much the show meant to them. Uh, in the different years that they were working, and especially how dear Phyllis was to them, uh, even though, you know, it was so, so many years ago. And as I started uh, talking to people and researching a little bit more, I realized that even though I started on the show in 1977, that back in 74, 75, it really took a turn. Can you describe each one of the personalities and what each one brought to the NFL today? Let's start with Brent Musburger. He was practically an unknown when he started in 1975 on the show, at least an unknown nationally. Uh, He was the sports director of WBBM in Chicago, and uh, he had done a little bit of CBS Sports Spectacular before that. But people didn't know uh, how uh, terrific he was at uh, studio work. In the foreword for the book, Jim Nance called Brent the greatest studio host of all time. And he he really had to be to to, uh, work a brand new live show. uh, And his strength was being able to do the highlights for sure. They had never done highlights before 1975 of other games. And you could throw highlights of eight different games at Brent at the same time. He had never seen them before. He knew all the players. He would just go through them like it was nothing and people were counting down in his ear. He was what was described by Van Gordon Sauter as the natural. (laughs) Where did the expression or how did it come up? You are looking live. Uh, You are looking live was uh, uh, an expression that Brent came up with. It was early in uh, 1975. They were holding a production meeting. The producer, Mike Pearl and director, Bob Fishman, 
and uh, Brent and Irv Cross and Phyllis George. And uh, Fishman said he had some friends who were betters, uh, and they liked to always know what the weather was. And uh, how could we show them that? And Brent said, you know, when we do that, I'll whip around at the at the very start of the show when we show the different stadiums. I could say you are looking live at Soldier Field in Chicago, where today Walter Payton and the Bears, et cetera, or you are looking live at Vet Stadium in Philadelphia. And that was a tip off to the gamblers. Uh, and for that show and the rest of the season and the next 15 years, Brent Musburger opened every show with saying you are looking live. And it became the catchphrase of the NFL today. But we weren't supposed to be interested in gambling. So now you have Brent saying that, plus hiring the Greek. What was that about? The Greek came on a year later. Uh, uh, Pete Rozelle in the NFL was dead set against uh, gambling uh, being discussed on these shows. Uh, in fact, Pete Rozelle had gone before Congress and testified that he thought only 2% of the viewers actually bet on the games, at which point CBS publicist Bino Cook said, well, if that's true, then they all live on my block. <laughs> Bino was a riot. <laughs> Greek added a lot to the show. And, and you have to admit that the ratings went up a tremendous amount when he came on. They were fives and sixes on rating points the first year, and they went to eights and nines. And that was about 15 or 16 million viewers, which today would be a primetime show. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Phyllis, who um, I actually met Phyllis in 1976. I was covering the Patriots for the Boston Globe and the Patriots got off to a great start that year. They beat Pittsburgh, they beat Oakland. And she came in to do a story with Chuck Fairbanks, the coach. And Rich, you know this because you knew her so well and you worked with her. But when she came, it was like... Um, you know, that music you'd hear behind, like, you know, the angels opening up the sky. And I am not kidding. Everyone fell in love with her. The ball boys, the coaches, the players. I fell in love with her. She just was irresistible in her authenticity and her charisma. I couldn't have put it any better, Leslie. She she was so sweet and so nice and so genuine. She just had a great personality about her. You know, Phyllis... Uh, was not a sports person like yourself when she was hired for the show. She was just simply a sports fan. And Bob Wessler, who uh, had the, the guts to put a woman on uh, a live sports show for the very first time, uh, he, his feeling was that sports on television in 1975 had become a male ghetto. Male ghetto, those were his words, wall-to-wall men. And he thought adding a woman would not only add more women viewers, but will really make better chemistry. And that would that would increase the ratings in its own right. And Phyllis was just the perfect one. When he interviewed her for the job, they went to lunch. And finally, after the small talk, he got to the big question. He said, well, what do you know about sports? And she just flashed those dimples at him. And she said, you know, I've dated a few athletes in my time. Of course, I love the Dallas Cowboys. You know, and that's all he had to hear. And they found a way to to make great use of Phyllis. They they sent her out with NFL films each week to interview a coach or an athlete. And and uh, in 1975, uh, her interview with Roger Staubach made national headlines. If you remember, she asked Staubach to compare himself to Joe Namath. Staubach, who was as conservative 
And plain vanilla as can be said, well, Joe likes to have sex with a lot of girls. I like to have a lot of sex, too, but just with one, my wife. <laughs> and, you know, she didn't Phyllis didn't offend anybody with that. It was um, she was truly you felt like she was your sister, or your friend. You couldn't even be jealous of her, truly, because she rooted for you. She wanted women to succeed. She did. And uh, she said that she realized uh, that she was opening the, the door for other women to come after her. And really, that was her legacy on the show. Tell me what the scene was like. Those are very different people. What was that like behind the scenes? I mean, weren't Brent and Jimmy fighting half the time? And then one wouldn't respect Phyllis one week and the other would defend her? There was a lot of drama for sure. Uh, as the show got more and more popular and uh, the ratings got higher and the salaries got higher, everybody wanted more airtime. And there was only 22 minutes of airtime to go around. And it was Brent, the one in charge. He was what Mike Pearl, the producer, called the managing editor on the, on, during the, the show to decide who would get an extra 10 or 15 seconds when there was an, a little bit of extra time. And it was usually the Greek who got shortchanged. And the Greek was always complaining about not getting enough airtime. And also the Greek had a segment called the Greek's grapevine, which was supposed to be insider news that he got from around the league. But most of the time it turned out to be tips from Al Davis, his buddy who owned the Oakland Raiders. And uh, uh, both Brent and the producers were getting, getting tired of it. But one Sunday in October of 1980, the Greek had a legitimate piece of news. And that was that uh, a high school coach from Akron, Ohio, was going to replace uh, Dan Devine as the coach of Notre Dame. Nobody else had it. They rehearsed it. And when they went on the air, Brent kind of stole his thunder, blurted out the news, and left the Greek flat-footed and tongue-tied. The uh, Greek was boiled over the rest of the day. And that night when they saw each other at a plate bar called Pear Trees, uh, the Greek complained more and more. Brent said, according to, to Ted Shaker, Brent at that point said, Greek, I can make you disappear anytime I want. At that point, the Greek punched him right in the face. <laughs> Are you serious? And it oh made my national gosh. news. It was uh, Washington Post the next night, the New York Times, uh, papers, the tabloids, uh, the rest of the week. They made up, they, they, they worked it out, at least on the surface outwardly, and they went on the air the next Sunday uh, with Phyllis saying round one and ringing a bell like it was a boxing match. It was the highest rated show of the year. Uh, you know, I remember going with John Madden and the Greek to Elmer's. I'm sure you did that, too, which had been, of course, the famous El Morocco. And I always thought Greek acted like a made man. I mean, what what was the Greek? The, the Greek uh, grew up in Steubenville, Ohio. Uh, Again, a, a steelworkers town of 40,000 people, but it had 11 casinos. He was a, an expert in odds and math. And by the time he was 14 years old, he was running the big, big wheel at Money O'Brien's uh, casino there in, in Steubenville. And uh, he liked to say <clears throat> it was until he was 25 years old before he found out gambling was illegal. <laughs> And the Greek always was looking for an edge, and he found it in college sports. His, his uh, college football odds were better than anybody else's, and he started making a lot of money. And in 1948, he made a very famous bet on Harry Truman to win 
the uh, presidential election. Harry Truman was a 20 to 1 underdog. And the Greek decided he was going to uh, bet $50,000 because his sister said, don't grow a mustache. It reminds women of Hitler. And the Greek <laughs> looked at the paper, saw Dewey had a mustache, canvassed 500 women at the AMP, found out 400 of them don't like men with mustaches. And he made this $50,000 bet and won over a million dollars. And he became famous after that. Walter Winchell went on the air on radio and uh, talked about the Greek being an even bigger winner than Harry Truman. So the Greek was famous for a long time by the time he came to the NFL today. And it was a, a really a good fit for everybody until the, the Greek and Brent started to fight. Didn't you think that um, Brent always had some kind of panache that the rest of us didn't? I mean, the rest of us would go to Runyon's and Brent would go to Patsy's, you know, and he'd mingle with Broadway stars. I, I always felt that Brent was not the same as we were. Brent didn't hang out with the rest of uh, the, the crew. And it was unusual that he was actually at Pear Trees that night because that's where everybody went after the show. Um, Brent usually drove home to Connecticut, uh, uh, and he was uh, different from the rest of us in that sense. Uh, he didn't hang out. Phyllis used to hang out with everybody after the NFL today. Uh, when Mike Pearl would take everybody to the Holiday Inn up the street uh, for drinks. But uh, not Brent. Um, Brent was a different type of guy. Uh, he was a great uh, sports writer before he went on the air. And and when he went on the air, he wasn't a natural right from the start. He just had, had the right feel for it. Van Sauter was right in uh, naming him that. And Brent talked about never having a broadcasting class or anything like that. In fact, uh, Brent uh, left college after his third year, and Irv Cross used to kid him that they were both in the same class at Northwestern, but Irv was the one who graduated. <laughs> the eternal gentleman. Well, it was always a fun show, though. I even remember my first group was Terry Bradshaw, Pat O'Brien, and Greg Gumbel. And the same thing, we would, we would go out and um, Terry would take us to Elaine's. I mean, I think I'd been there with Mike Lupica a couple times, but, you know, that was fun. And I remember another time I was on, Mike Ditka uh, was one of the panel we were on together. And we used to go to, they had a Jilly's. Do you remember that? They tried Sinatra's old bar. And I remember once we were walking to it and there was a homeless man and he yelled out to Mike Ditka, Mike, what's the greatest nation on earth? And Mike said, I don't know, the United Nations. And the guy put his cup out and said, no, man, a donation. <laughs> <laughs> In the book, Mike Gumbel tells a great story about going to uh, Elaine's on Friday nights with Terry Bradshaw. And that uh, <clears throat> one night they had quite a, quite a bit to drink and a couple of bottles of wine. And it was Terry's turn to pay. And uh, the bill came and it was uh, $390. And Terry turns to Greg with the waiter standing there and said, Greg, what's 1% of 390? And the <laughs> waiter turned blue. <laughs> he was, you know, they, that group was so much fun because, as you know, Pat O'Brien was so literate and Greg always had a book going and Terry was just a blast. But what do you think has been the impact of the original NFL today? I think the original NFL today really opened the door and showed everybody else exactly how to do it. I mean, 
the, the quote that I use on the back of the book from Tony Kornheiser, the great Tony Kornheiser, is that that NFL Today show from 1975 was simply the greatest pregame show of all time. And everybody for the last 40 years has tried to copy it. You know, and I truly believe that uh, NFL 77 over at NBC was uh, directly trying to copy what, what NFL Today was doing. Game day would never be the same over at ESPN if it wasn't for the NFL today. And, they, you know, and Tim Brando, who was the first game day host, said he, he tried to do exactly what Brent did. So uh, the NFL today really opened the doors and showed everybody how to do it. The impression that it actually changed people's Sundays. They did something different on Sundays now than they used to do. Back then in 75, uh, we have to think about uh, there was no Internet. There was no cable. There was no ESPN. There were only three channels. Before the show went live, nothing was live. You couldn't get information about your team unless you had an AP ticker in your living room, you know, and the NFL today came on with news about the weather and news about injuries and who's playing today and, and Brent and Irv and, uh, and the Greek, Brent and Irv and Phyllis were so young compared to the year before Jack Whitaker, who was the host and the Greek came on and he was edgy. I mean, people rushed home from church so they wouldn't miss it. That's really what it was like then. It was exciting, you know, and, and it really did set the, t the template going forward. Bob Fishman, one of the greatest directors of all time, if not the greatest sports director, and Mike Pearl. They were both, they're both kind of chill guys. We lost Mike Pearl. But what was it like handling these four people? Mike, Mike Pearl was, was quiet. You would never know that he was... A, great, great producer and, and the one who put together the NFL today and the one who, who put together inside the NBA also with Charles Barkley, who's going into the Hall of Fame along with Phyllis, uh, which is, uh, I think, uh, worth mentioning. Yes, and I hope people come because I'm the MC. Oh, my God, that's going to be fantastic. <laughs> so you're going to get another shout out that night. I'll be there for sure. And um, Bob Fishman was just the opposite of Mike Pearl. I mean, I, I have compared Mike, Mike Pearl to Eeyore the donkey. Total, that's a great call. That is exact. He walked around. He kind of looked like he was always uh, dour, you know, and quiet. And, and Bob Fishman uh, was just out there. He was bubbly personality, uh, friendly as can be, anything you need. And same with Pearl, anything you need. The great thing about Pearl is, he told you what he what he needed and he let you go and do it your own way. You know, and if he had a problem, he'd say, try it this way next time. He never raised his voice ever. And, and for that part, neither did Fishman. I was on the broadcast in 1990. It was Billy Packer, Brent Musburger and myself when Brent left. And I remember we were in a production meeting. It was when uh, UNLV beat Duke in the national championship. And I remember all of a sudden Neil Pilsen and Ted Shaker went out in the hallway with Todd Musburger. And I guess they talked, they talked, and I don't know what happened the rest of the day, but the next day, Brent was no longer on CBS. Like what, what had happened there? Um, I like to compare it to uh, a baseball manager having five great starting pitchers, but only giving the ball to one of them for each game in the World Series. The same guy every game. 
that was Ted Shaker and Neil Pilson's problem. They had five great hosts there. Besides Brent Musburger, they had Jim Nance, they had Greg Gumbel, they had James Brown, they had Andrea Joyce, and they had Pat O'Brien. But only Brent was getting the ball. Brent had all the plum assignments. They asked Brent, please give up a couple of them. We've got to develop these people. Jim Nance had already been there five years uh, since 1985. And, and according to Ted Shaker, Brent refused to give up anything. And that's when Shaker and, and Neil Pilsen decided that was enough. They were going to not renew Brent's contract. And he was making $2 million a year. And uh, both of them have said the money wasn't the problem. But, you know, a nod to Ted Shaker there. Ted Shaker is the one who hired Andrea Joyce, Pat O'Brien, James Brown, Greg Gumbel, myself. I mean, Ted Shaker should not be lost among the great, great executive producers. And, and he hired Jim Nance. He, Jim Nance was just uh, like a 24, 25-year-old from Salt Lake City. You know, Ted Shaker, I think, should be in the Hall of Fame as well. He's been overlooked. Absolutely. Well, um, I cannot tell you how enjoyable the book was to read. Of course, you know, you don't often read a book where you know every single person <laughs> in the book, and you captured it beautifully. And I just want to thank you for bringing us You Are Looking Live by Rich Podolsky. And it did change. The NFL Today did change sports broadcasting. So thank you. Thank you so much, Leslie, for participating in the book as well. You, you've been absolutely fabulous. And that was my conversation with Rich Podolsky. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today on Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you stream your podcast to enjoy new episodes every week. In Conversation with Leslie Visser is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network and is available on the SXM app included with most subscriptions. The executive producer is the great Andrew Emmer, sound design by Robert Moore. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. And special thanks to Sirius XM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. Talk to you next week. Sirius XM Podcasts.